the whole vision and mission behind Flowwater is to radically change the way people view, consume, and drink water. In other words, kind of change the way the world views water. And the mission of our company is to put a complete end to single-use plastic and single-use packaging. Welcome to the Business for Good podcast, a show where we spotlight companies making money by making the world a better place. I'm your host, Paul Shapiro, and if you share a passion for using commerce to solve many of the world's most pressing problems, then this is the show for you. Welcome, friends, to episode 43 of the Business for Good podcast. Well, recently, we have all been rocked by the pandemic and the economic collapse it's caused, and now we've been rocked by the brutal murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis and the social unrest it's caused both here in the U.S. and around the world. Anyone who's watched the video will understand that there really are no words to describe just how barbaric this extrajudicial execution was. And as George Floyd's brother testified so eloquently before Congress recently, it's important not to let this death be in vain. Instead, this tragedy can hopefully generate positive reforms that will not only prevent future killings of Black Americans, and yes, those Black lives of course matter, but also to create a fair and more just policing system for our society. Additionally, let's not forget that yes, protest is very important, but so is voting to elect the right policymakers because that can ultimately lead to structural power changes. Elections matter. They have consequences. I'm proud to say, actually, that my my own company, The Better Meat Co., has recently joined the growing list of companies that are offering paid time off on election day to all team members. I think that this is going to be one of the trends in socially conscious businesses going forward to allow team members to be able to still get paid on election day, even when they go to the polls to vote. Uh, Really, so long as we have in-person voting, I actually think that election day ought to be a national holiday. Though for what it's worth, I've been doing mail-in voting for nearly my entire adult life since I don't want to waste my time going to the polls and waiting in line and so on. In fact, many states will allow you to request a mail-in ballot in advance of the election for virtually any reason or no reason at all. And you don't need to cast it until election day. So if you're worried you might actually change your mind, fear not. You can request that mail-in ballot. You don't have to waste your time in line on election day. We all have seen the problems that can occur at polling precincts on election day. So why bother with it? Why not just mail in your ballot and be done with it? Anyway, that's enough on some of the news of the day. I do hope that we can do some future episodes more directly related to it. But I do want to talk about a little bit right now about this episode because it focuses on a really cool company, Flowwater, which is working to prevent the need for single-use plastic bottles, which are choking our oceans and our waterways and our landscapes. As you'll hear, in the past seven years, led by Raz Rasgaitis, These folks at Flowwater have raised $25 million in venture capital to make tap water cool again. Their technology purifies tap water to make it taste great, which I can personally attest is true. And it's placed in all types of major venues like corporations, festivals, and more places where folks can just go to get their water from a flow water machine. It's not yet available for individual in-home use, but it's the type of thing where it's a B2B strategy where they're selling these purifying machines that will prevent you from the need to getting a plastic water bottle that's a single-use bottle. Already, they're displacing water bottles in more than 5,000 
5,000 locations, including major offices like Red Bull, Microsoft, Airbnb, Google, and Target, as well as more than 100 hotels and dozens of school districts and concert venues in all 50 states. They also donated scores of their water purifying machines in Flint in the wake of the lead poisoning crisis there, which we talk about in this episode too. So far, Flow Water has prevented the need for hundreds of millions of single-use plastic bottles, and the company is just getting started. It's a refreshing tale of a startup on a mission to save the world from drowning in plastic one gulp at a time. So now I bring you Flow Water CEO, Raz Reskaitis. Raz, welcome to the Business for Good podcast. Great to have you on here, man. Fantastic to be on. Thanks for uh, having me on the show today. Yeah, it is my pleasure. So let's just get started. I watched your TEDx talk and you uh, start it with a very provocative opening. Nobody is going to forget that you walk out onto stage and you light up a cigarette inside on the TEDx stage. Tell me, Raz, why did you do that? Uh, Ultimately, I think there's a lot of parallels between what we saw in Big Tobacco or what we saw slash read in the historical context around Uh, big tobacco in the 50s and 60s, and big bottled water, you know, of today. And and I I think the comparisons, though they in some ways seem radically different, they're very shockingly similar too. And and some of the examples of that are, uh, you know, first of all, at one point, 46% of the U.S. population smoked, and now it's down to the teens and declining. And, you know, there's been a major, major shift, which has largely come from not regulation, but consumer behavior change. And part of that consumer behavior change has been driven by uh, raising education and awareness. And it used to be that people didn't really realize there were negative physical effects to smoking. And now people in, in over a period of years, particularly in the 50s, 60s, 70s, started to become kind of unveiled as to the truisms around the negative health implications of uh, tobacco. And, you know, that is another parallel for big bottled water. There's actually 6,000 known chemicals that are used to make cigarettes. And there are 10,000 known chemicals that are used to make the plastics that are used in single-use PET bottles for the bottled water industry. Uh, And I'm not saying that's a light-to-light comparison, but if you actually look kind of fast forward to where we are today as a society, and I'll end on this, though I could probably talk for, you know, 20 minutes about what I think the comparisons are between big tobacco and big bottled water. But if you look at where we are today as a society, the average American is drinking or eating two credit cards worth of plastic per month. And that's coming from uh, food and water. Uh, The average liter of water has 300 micro particulates of plastic in it, whether it's in a bottle or tap water. So we're now literally drinking, when you're drinking bottled water, and when you're not drinking bottled water, you are literally drinking bottled water. And uh, I think, you know, smoking cigarette on stage, kind of opening up a TEDx was uh, just a way to try to reconcile and maybe just inject in people's minds. There's a bigger problem here, and it's bigger than we might see on the surface. And there's a lot of parallels. And to start the discussion around that. Mm. So uh, let's just briefly talk about that microplastic in the water. You're not saying that's coming from the plastic bottle. You're saying that's in, that's coming from the water itself. Right, exactly. Right? So one of the common conceptions and misconceptions mm. of uh, consumers, and it's very logical that, that we as consumers would think this way, but one of the misconceptions is that Oh, if I'm drinking bottled water, there are there's plastic leaching. That's true, and that that plastic leaching 
is happening, you know, in water that's sitting in bottles that's literally baking and being shipped all over the country, some cases all over the world, sitting at a retailer, sitting in the back of a car, wherever it may be. And that that leaching has kind of a plastic runoff or, or, or chafing in effect that it ends up being something consumers drink. There is some truth to that, but actually what's happening is the result of many years of 100 billion single-use plastic water bottles that end up in our oceans, lakes, rivers, and landfills uh, every year. What happens to that is it actually ends its way into the ocean and a variety of other water stores. And plastic doesn't photodegrade. It, 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 excuse me, plastic doesn't biodegrade, it photodegrades. And what photodegrades means is that one piece turns into 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, until it becomes microscopic. And that's actually the way that we are eating and drinking our plastic, which is, uh, you know, 100 years ago, there were no plastics, so we weren't drinking any plastics. Uh, 50 years ago, uh, with the advent of plastics, some of that plastic started making its way into oceans, lakes, rivers, and landfills. And uh, now where we are today, as a result of really toxifying the environment with all these single-use plastics, is that that now is photodegrading and it's making its way all the way through municipal water stores. So whether you're drinking bottled water, in fact, excuse me, whether you're drinking bottled water or tap water, you're now drinking microparticulates. Uh, and that was reconciled by a study done out of SUNY a couple of years ago. I think it was about 18 months ago that showed over 90% of uh, the most common bottled water brands and also over 90% of the tap water samples that they took contained over 300 pieces of microplastic per liter of water. Uh, so, you know, actually kind of, I'll draw back. This is a little bit like the cigarette analogy, which is, you know, if you are smoking cigarettes and you're sitting by yourself outside smoking a cigarette and someone is standing five miles away outside, there's no cross-contamination there. I mean, you are polluting the environment with your secondhand smoke, but I mean, it's getting dissipated in the environment. Uh, but the parallel to the bottled water consumption in cigarettes is that it's like there are 10 people sitting in a room, three of whom are smoking cigarettes. It's a closed room. The other seven are also smoking cigarettes, even though they're not smoking cigarettes because they are inhaling the secondhand smoke. And that's exactly what's happening with single-use plastics, which is whether you're using a single-use plastic water bottle or not, uh, the ugly truth of it is you are now getting kind of the secondhand smoke effect because it's permeating everywhere. And the way to solve that problem is to end single-use packaging. It's not to increasing recycling is good. That's important. It's also wildly unsuccessful, quite unfortunately. Uh, the way that we need to solve this problem is by uncycling and keeping that stuff from being manufactured and produced and consumed in the first place. Yeah, great point, Raz. So, you know, before we get into what your solution is to uncycle, to actually prevent all that plastic from being created in the first place, just want to state, you know, only a tiny little fraction of plastic gets recycled. Less than 10% of it ever gets recycled. And even the plastic that does get recycled is still, after that, almost never going to be recycled again. And so all of the plastic that has ever been created in human history, if it hasn't been incinerated, still exists. It's still somewhere, either in a landfill or in the ocean or waterways or somewhere. 
there. And the, um, you know, there is a great need for recycling, but we have to turn off the faucet. You know, we can't, we have to turn off this faucet of continually producing more and more plastic. And so that's why I think what flow water is doing is so cool because there's a lot of people who, for whatever reason, don't want to drink uh, tap water. They have a negative association with it for whatever reason, right or wrong. But Raz, you have uh, created this technology to make tap water cool again and to make it pure again. So tell me, what is the tech that you're doing and what is flow water up to? Great. Thanks. And I completely agree. I mean, I think this is one of, um, you know, one of the things that, that big tobacco once upon a time, uh, and, and less to today because they're restricted, but big bottled water is really good at is a marketing engine and a misinformation engine. And one of the things that they have done is they've done an amazing job of greenwashing uh, by advocating around the recycle rate or recyclability. And what most people don't realize is even in places like San Francisco, recycling rates you know, is better than the standard index across the US. But even in places like San Francisco that are very progressive around this actually have a very low amount of product that ends up making it through the recycling process. And so uh, I'm glad you mentioned that statistic because that's kind of wildly misunderstood, but people are starting to understand, you know, recycling important to do, but it's not actually very effective at all. Um, from a flow water perspective, so the, actually your segue is really perfect to kind of the next question a lot of people ask and a lot of consumers say, well, hey, if bottled water is so bad, why don't we just go back to drinking tap water or drinking out of the faucet? And that's a great question and it seems super logical. And there's two fundamental reasons that are hurdles that keep people from doing that from a behavior perspective. One is that some people just don't like tap water. They don't like the taste of it or they don't feel like it's sanitary. Sometimes they're right. Sometimes uh, they're, they're, that's kind of a misperception, but uh, it is a real and perceived issue. And then the second is trust. Uh, so if you look at the data, anywhere from 60 to 80% of Americans uh, don't like or don't trust tap water. And so that creates a huge issue, which is on one side of the spectrum, you have package use water, single use package water that people need to get off of because we are slowly killing the environment and also coating ourselves with the particulates of single use plastics. And we need to stop that for our own health as well as the health and the sustainability of the environment. But we're also in a juxtaposition where just telling people go drink more tap water is a problem. It's a little bit like, you know, a very simplified analogy that I sometimes use is it's a little bit like telling somebody like, hey, you should eat more Brussels sprouts. So, um, you know, eat them the way that, you know, my mom or your mom possibly prepared them for us, which was boiled in a bowl, like sitting there on a plate that tastes absolutely disgusting. No one will eat them no matter how much someone tells them they should do something. But if you take something as simple as Brussels sprouts that taste horrible boiled, in fact, I don't know that many people really remember what that was like. So relate to this because uh, I, I think they're about the same age. Um, reality yeah. is suddenly you you cut them up, you fry them, you throw bacon on there or, or or like balsamic vinegar, and you make them crispy. And suddenly it's on every menu in America as like the new hot vegetable. Well, that's because you made them taste good, and consumers do what they like doing. It's kind of that simple. And so that's what we need to do with water. What's what we need to do with tap water? In some cases, in some cases. There are some very serious concerns that I have around tap water in the U.S. And I think, let me go on record as saying, I think by and large, our municipal water treatment facilities and systems have done a commendable job 
considering how much we've been contaminating that water. An example of that is Roundup. Prior to 1974, there was no Roundup being used in the environment. Today, it's the number one uh, agricultural herbicidal product that's used worldwide. And Roundup and trace amounts, no one wants to be drinking Roundup. Uh, and, and I think the data is pretty conclusive on that. The reality is, if you're drinking tap water, chances are you might be drinking trace amounts of, of Roundup, kind of in an IV drip over a period of time. And that's concerning, not in every market, but municipal tap water was not set up to address that. Uh, another example is that in some places, a lot of chlorine is used, a necessary agent is used in order to transport the water from point A to point B, point B being your faucet. But chlorine is not very appealing. And ideally what you do is you remove the chlorine once it's getting the product's gotten to you safely, uh, for taste purposes. And ultimately, that's what flow water does is we're kind of a second treatment of water. And so the whole vision and mission behind flow water is to radically change the way people view, consume and drink water. In other words, kind of change the way the world views water. And the mission of our company is to put a complete end to single use plastic and single use packaging. And the way that we're going to do that, and I'll end on this is uh, we're doing that by kind of redefining the last six feet of waterline. And so the way that people take good or maybe not so good tap water and make it great is by taking that last six feet of line and plugging in a flow water like device. And today it's a refill station. Uh, tomorrow it might be a flow water faucet filter or another uh, month from now or three months or six months from now. I'm using this more from a timing perspective, metaphorically. Uh, will be a flow water countertop unit, and someday there will be flow water for your fridge. But the way to solve that is to treat it twice and to take the water that's coming into your faucet and turn it into something that's better that you love more than your favorite bottled water. And then consumers will change behavior. Mm. So I'll tell you, I, I was in San Francisco, and uh, the reason I heard about Flow Water was because I was, I believe it was at a conference at the Hilton, and they had your machine in the lobby. And I was like, oh, cool, free water. And, you know, maybe I would have noticed a water fountain, I'm not sure, but this machine was like decked out with all this information about how purified this is. It was like talking about the number of purification steps that were involved, and it was free. I mean, it was like this great purified water and I got it. And I got to say it tasted fantastic. And then I was also at a startup grind and I saw they had it. And so I started thinking, oh, wow, this is pretty cool. And then when I started looking more and more into the company, I learned that you guys have actually put these machines in a lot of places. It's not just at a couple of places that I happen to be. You're in with Red Bull, Microsoft, Airbnb, Google, Target, and, and hundreds of hotels and school districts and so on. So I know that you started the company in Silicon Valley. You ended up moving to Denver where you're now based. But tell me, how big is the company? Uh, you, you, know, you have this technology to purify water, um, but how big is the company? How much money have you raised and what are you guys up to? Sure. Uh, so as you stated, uh, we moved the company out to Denver, uh, which is ultimately our, our, our headquarters now. Uh, Organization-wide, we have 50 employees, and uh, this is a very, uh, I, I just have so much admiration for the team of people that have come along over the course of years. Some of them have more recently joined over the last six, nine, 12 months. Uh, several others have been on board for three, four, five years, uh, kind of from, from year two onward. And there is a team of ferociously committed people to the mission of the cause and what we are doing to, you know, fundamentally democratize water. It's really what it is. And so uh, from a, a unit's perspective out in the market, we have 
roughly 5,000 flow water units uh, throughout the United States. Primarily, uh, that has been our focus over the course of this year. We are starting to expand internationally in some very select markets. Uh, and kind of the last message point that I would put is that over the course of time, over the last five, six years of commercialization, uh, we've been able and have been fortunate to be able to grow 100% roughly year over year. Uh, of course, for us, and, we, and, and to date, we have saved over 330 million single-use plastic water bottles from the environment. Uh, we are tracking ahead of plan to save over a billion single-use plastic water bottles from the environment by the year 2022. Uh, ultimately, what I would like to see us do is tens and tens of billions by the year 2022. So we're figuring out how do we need to move and migrate and accelerate uh, to be able to, to grow two to three X every year instead of just 100% year over year. Uh, last question, we've raised over $25 million total paid in capital to date over the last seven years. Um, and we are in the process of uh, raising additional capital, not just to continue the business. I mean, we're fine in terms of a day-to-day -day perspective and running and growing the company, but we really want to raise more capital to invest in uh, significant acceleration of growth and also to make sure that what we do is end single-use packaging uh, because to some degree we're in a, there's a bit of a David and Goliath uh, fight that's going on right now, flow water versus uh, big bottled water. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily mean to frame it just as a David and Goliath and just as a fight, but it's a, it's, it, it, it is a fight until we find one of them wants to work with us to put an end to single use packaging. Um, mm. And then, you know, and as much as they're willing to do that, we would love to collaborate with them. Uh, yeah. but, but, but until then we're, we're going forward on our own to do this, uh, with, a you know, bunch of advocates and ambassadors that we have along the way. So Rezo, I want to hear about what the cost is. Like, you know, what is Google or Hilton or whoever paying to have this thing, this machine in there so that people like I can have a great tasting free, uh, bottle of water without having to use a plastic bottle. But I also want to ask you, like, what is the actual technology? Uh, so you're, you're talking about redefining the final six feet. What happens during that six feet that is so magical about flow water that makes it taste that much better? And why is it any better than just getting like a Brita water filter? Got it. Yeah. Great questions. Uh, very simply on the price point, uh, there's a one-time delivery and installation fee that, is dependent somewhat upon your geography. And then after uh, that price there, it, it literally comes down to $4 a day. It's around $125 a month to lease it uh, for uh, most people sign up for a three to five year lease. So if you sign up for a five year lease, it's $125 a month. It equates to $4 a day for unlimited water. And what happens, which is one of the things that so, I- uh, so, sorry, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, Raz, $4 a day, regardless of usage, if exactly. it's used yes. you know, by, by one or by a hundred people. Okay. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the only thing that is a variable cost, but it never even comes into play. I mean, it's in the, it's in the fractions of a penny is the filters, you know, that need to be changed every 12,000 gallons or every 12 months. So, you know, mm -hmm. if you went through 24,000 gallons instead of 12,000 gallons, you know, you would have twice the filter charges. But filters generally range right around $300 a year. So we're talking about a incredibly de minimis, you know, it might be a difference mm -hmm. of 0.0001 per mm -hmm. additional okay. fill if you're going through a ton of water. So in all intents and purposes, it's unlimited flow water for as many people as that machine can provide for for $4 a day. Cool. So what's in that machine? 
What's in the What's machine the is a, it's a pretty powerful in, in a proprietary purification system. I, I, I really describe it. There are stuff and filters. The way I really summarize it is those stuff and filters really do one of three things. One is uh, there's a set of filters in there that remove things that are in your tap water that should not be in your tap water. Examples of that include heavy metals, pharmaceuticals, herbicides, products like Roundup, um, pesticides, and also inorganic solids. So there are some things even like salts that uh, make the water taste bad. Uh, that also includes you know, other products like fluoride and chlorine, et cetera. So the first stage of filters are just extracting things out of the water almost down to a distilled state. And then the second set of filters and, 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 and purification mechanisms are reintroducing those things that you do want in your water. So one of the things that you want in your drinking water is uh, you want to have minerals and you want to have electrolytes, sodium, calcium, potassium, and magnesium. And so that's for not only taste, but also so that you have the bioavailability and the absorption of it. And so there's a variety of replenishing uh, filters that put the good things back into flow water that you want to have in there, to say it simply. And then the third thing is a simply uh, a finishing filter that makes the water taste great. And so what we use are uh, uh, actually coconut carbon husks. The coconut, co carbonated coconut is literally uh, husks of coconut uh, that we get from a proprietary source from a farm in the Philippines. And it gets carbonated and turns into a filter. And it does not turn the water into something that tastes like coconut water. But what that coconut carbon filter does is it imparts a really incredibly clean, crisp taste to the water that uh, in blinded taste tests, eight out of 10 consumers prefer to some of their favorite bottled water. And that's the idea of this is if we can get consumers to love this more than their favorite bottled water, and that is coming from any water source anywhere in the US, they're going to do more of it. And that's the last point that I probably would just mention at this phase right now is when we install a flow water refill station, uh, I certainly get excited about more people drinking more water. And that's whether it's flow water or anything else, like out of a Brita or a Pure or a water fountain, anything that gets consumers to drink more water is a great thing. Uh, when we deploy a flow water refill station, I look at outcomes data. And one of the things that we identify is that when we put a flow water unit into a a school, a corporation, a gym, a retailer, we'll see anywhere from a two to five-fold increase in daily water consumption. So they're dramatically drinking more water. But what they're also doing is, uh, depending on the audience, they're drinking 50% less soda and coffee and up to 80% less single-use packaging. And that's ultimately what we care about is seeing behavior change where people are drinking more water and less of the bad stuff. Mm, that's really cool. That's really cool. What results? So, Raz, you know, you you often talk about the comparison between the plastic bottled water industry to the cigarette industry. Obviously, there are a number of public policy initiatives, both at the local, state, and federal level, that have all worked together to bring the smoking rates down. What public policies do you think there ought to be in place to help wean our culture off of these single-use plastics and onto more sustainable products, whether it be flow water or any other way to help reduce plastic use? That's uh, a great question. And, and, and it's one that I love because, first of all, I think a lot of this is just driven by consumer awareness and consumer behavior change and changing habits, right? But the second part of it is public policy is helpful. And so I'll use one example of what did help 
to perpetuate a dramatic reduction in um, uh, cigarette usage was taxation. And so one of the things that, uh, and, and let me be clear, you know, I'm, I'm very much a free market, uh, you know, I, I, I'm apolitical as it relates to my, my, my voice uh, on, on matters of flow water, you know, so I don't ever kind of espouse a right or a left perspective. I, I espouse uh, several perspectives that are specific to the democratization of water. And one of those ends up being, you know, providing people access to clean drinking water that they can trust is really important. And yes, we can and should be a part of that conversation. But also, Americans and people worldwide to live, deserve access to clean drinking water that they can trust. And one of the ways that we can improve that is, you know, of course, putting flow water in more places does improve that, but it doesn't really solve the problem systemically. And so I'll give you an example. What I think helps solve the problem systemically is that we need to plow money back into, for example, municipal water treatment facilities to reinvest in their R&D and their development and their kind of uh, capacity of filtering out those things that we have been polluting the environment with, for example, Roundup, for example, plastics that are turning into microplastics. Um, and one of the ways that we can do that is by taxing bottled water, you know, and, and if you look at what happened to the taxation of uh, cigarettes and how that got reinvested, and, and it probably should have been reinvested a lot more. I don't know all the particulars of exactly how much of that investment made it its way into re-education campaigns and anti-smoking campaigns. But, you know, what I would advocate for is a heavier tax and a penalty on bottled water because we're spending an incredible amount of time cleaning this up. It's polluting our environment. So we should tax the people that are polluting, doing the polluting, that are profiting off of it, and really redeploy those resources into making infrastructure better while we're also doing things like flow water or, you know, pick your mm -hmm. favorite filtration company. Right. So in short, tax plastic water bottles and you also want to tax boiled Brussels sprouts, but make sure that if you're doing <laughs> stir fried Brussels sprouts, there's a subsidy, there's a subsidy for stir fried if it's with balsamic vinegar. Yeah, right. Exactly. Got Got it. Okay. Just want to make sure I got you on record on that. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, look, I, I totally agree with you. I think that, you know, short of, of uh, passing bans, which uh, could or could not work in certain circumstances, even just small fees. I mean, you look at what like the nickel per plastic bag fee ordinances have done. They really do dramatically reduce the amount of bags being used, of plastic bags at grocery stores being used because people don't want to pay that extra nickel. So um, I, I do think that there can be a, a real public policy play here. And uh, speaking of public policies, I know, Raz, that uh, you have been uh, pretty intimately involved in what happened in the uh, with the crisis in Flint. And so uh, briefly, just tell me a little bit about what Flow Water has done in Flint and some of the work that you're still doing there now. Uh, absolutely. That, that's, you know, one of the areas that I just feel really strongly about. And uh, it's a huge it's a huge tragedy what what has happened there. It's incredibly infuriating, and I think there's of course universal agreement around that. The the part at which we got uh, pretty substantially involved, and of course I would like our company to get more and more involved in 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 cases like this and others. But what we did uh, upon finding out about the problem is that we we worked to as quickly as possible find a gateway where we could start to donate flow water refill stations to key areas within Flint and uh, 
Some of those involved municipal uh, uh, kind of city departments. Some of those were, one of those was a local hotel. One of those or several of those were uh, local schools and or churches. And so we donated approximately $60,000 worth of flow water refill stations to the city of Flint at a time that it needed it most. Um, you know, and I, I, I'm, I'm thrilled that we could be a part, a small part of the solution of um, kind of intercepting lead coming out of uh, tap water lines and, you know, completely removing that. And in fact, the data that we collected on that within even the first year of deploying those flow water refill stations through a third party lab was that uh, there was still tap water that we were sampling at the source that was coming in over 30 times the EPA allowable limit for lead. And then once it was mm. tested, having run through a flow water refill station, uh, there was no detectable uh, trace of lead whatsoever. And so this is the exact same flow water refill station that we're putting into hotels, schools, corporations worldwide, but primarily in the United States, as I mentioned before. Um, and so I you know, am thrilled with the impact that we made, but ultimately what I care about is making that impact in being able to do bigger donations like that as we scale. I mean, at some point I would like to be able to say, you know, we donated 600 refill stations to the city of Flint and we've done other things and other projects. Uh, there's a pretty active uh, level of donation that we've made to uh, schools that are economically uh, disadvantaged where we have in the past donated flow water refill stations to them because they did not have the financial wherewithal to be able to afford that. But part of the commitment of this company is to do more of that moving forward because uh, the everyone can afford $4 a day. And so we can only do so much at certain points in time in the company. But the most important point is that we keep pressing on this as an important initiative and to continue to do more uh, as we are growing more as well. Sure. Well, that's really great, Raz. That's really great. As we wrap up here, let me ask you two final questions that we always ask every person on the show. And the first is, you know, you are a uh, successful entrepreneur. You've already raised a lot of money for this company, but you're a serial entrepreneur. So let me ask you, Raz, are there any resources in your life as an entrepreneur that have really been useful for you that you would recommend to anybody else, whether they be books or speeches or anything else that you think people who look at your success and think, boy, I'd like to be like him that they ought to check out? Well, one that I particularly like that's a book is uh, The Obstacle is the Way. And, and I think anyone that's going down the entrepreneurial journey, you're just going to face, I mean, if you're really starting something, I mean, it's different to join an entrepreneurial organization radically than to start one. So you have to have a certain DNA to join an entrepreneurial organization. You have to have a, almost like a radically different one to start something. And uh, you, you, you know, anyone doing this, is going to face so many forbearing obstacles. It, it, you know, 90% of life feels like it's problems in the early stages, and to some degree it is. And uh, I think that's a terrific book. Uh, so that's number one. Number two is, I, you know, I just encourage people, I mean, feed your mind in the same way that you think about feeding your physicality or feeding your physical nature by working out or doing yoga or meditating or running or going to the gym or whatever the case may be. Uh, you know, I think it's very, very easy for us to forget to kind of feed our, our soul and our mind and our spirit with good information that helps us think through 
different things at different times and, you know, compile a bunch of mentors. And sometimes that can be a direct one-to-one mentorship, but a lot of times, uh, you know, that can be listening to a podcast or reading a book. And the only other comment that I'll make on a book suggestion and audio suggestion, one of my favorites by far right now, I've watched so many of his videos. I've uh, just completed uh, his book is David Goggins. And um, that's What's the book. Uh, the, the, I'm going to butcher the name of it. So hang on, let me actually make sure I don't, I don't misstate it. Uh, mm-hmm. It's can't, hurt me. I, I always kind of reword that when I say it. So the book is, there's, I think a couple others, but it's can't hurt me. Master your mind and defy the odds is the subtitle to that by David Goggins. It is so unbelievably powerful uh, around hearing his story and the struggle and how he uh, created out of that. It's, I think it's even better than the obstacles the way. So those are my two best book wow. suggestions. And the audio book, the mm-hmm. Audible of Can't Hurt Me, is especially fantastic because not only is the book read by the guy that wrote it, but there's also an interview about at the end of every chapter between the author as well as David Goggins himself, where they kind of dissect what was going on during that part of that chapter. It's fantastic. The Audible portion of that is unbelievable. So highly advocate. Uh, Very cool. Can't Hurt Me. All right. Well, we'll include links to both of those books in the show notes. And for what it's worth, I know Obstacles the Way by uh, Ryan Holiday. I haven't read Obstacles the Way, but I did read his book, Conspiracy. And I will tell you, I mean, I don't know how relevant it is necessarily uh, for entrepreneurship, but I will say it is one of the most riveting stories. It's a story about Gawker versus Hulk Hogan and Peter Thiel. And I presume actually there is an entrepreneurial angle to it in that Gawker as a, as a startup company, a startup media company was flying high and then got taken down by their own hubris with, uh, with their targeting of Peter Thiel. But I'll tell you, if you want to read a riveting legal drama, that is an unbelievable book. So we'll include that as well. It's a big Fantastic. Ryan Holiday I, episode. I here. have not read um, that. <laughs> I've not listened to that book or read that book yet. So that's a great one. I am going to pick that up. Thank you. Yeah. It, it, it involves something for everybody, including Hulk Hogan. So uh, <laughs> he's the main character in the book. But um, all right. Uh, finally, Raz, as a serial entrepreneur, I presume that you have lots of ideas for companies that you wish would be created to uh, make the world a better place that you just don't have time to do. So tell listeners, if they're thinking about wanting to start their own company to try to make the world a better place, what do you recommend that you're not doing that you wish somebody else would do? Well, um, I. I would love as a parent, but also as, uh, as just a person of society that's kind of seeing what life is like post-school and particularly post-middle uh, and high school after the last 20, 30 years of my life, I would love to see somebody create a curriculum, you know, and kind of democratize content, so to speak, around things that matter in life. And to be able to create kind of a, uh, uh, a high school, a universally approved set of curriculum that can be done online that counts as course credits for high school. That's a series. It's not just one class, but it's a series throughout high school that helps students and helps young people find their way when a lot of them might not have parents that help them find their way. Or a lot of them might just have parents that don't know certain parts of it. And I'll give you an example. I'll give you a very simple example. Uh, two very simple examples. One is cooking. 
so this sounds silly, but if you actually look at the amount of time that we spend both eating as well as cooking for, for throughout the course of our life and the impact that that has on how we think, how we feel, how we communicate, how we socialize with people, knowing how to cook moderately well is like one of the best ROI things that you can do for yourself. And a lot of people just don't know how to cook very well. And uh, kind of learning some basics along the lines of that is a really high ROI activity, but no one actually ever gets kind of put into this program and this curriculum of what does that look like unless you start to self-select and you know sign up for courses or watch YouTube videos or what have you. Uh, and another one of those is, is the impact of compounding investing, right? And saving money at a very young age and what that can do 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, uh, which you can't catch up when you're 60. You know, you, you can get some interest compounding, but you can't get the kind of force multiplier effect that you get when you start doing that at the age of 18, 20, 22, 25. And a lot of people just don't have the privilege of someone telling them what that looks like and how to do it and kind of a roadmap to success. I would love it to find somebody that could actually create a platform that is widely regarded as, as kind of a universal education and kind of democratizing access to best practices at winning at life. Um, so that's my, that's, my, that's my hot button right now, which you know, I'd love to solve for, but I'm not going to be able to anytime soon, but maybe someone else can. Uh, I hope so. Maybe, uh, maybe somebody's going to create that type of a curriculum. And when they do, we'll have them on the show and they'll, they'll uh, credit you with their inspiration here. So <laughs> well, as, as we both know, it's 99.999%, not the idea, but the actual going and doing it. Right. So <laughs> I'll, I'll yeah, it's full funny you say that because it. It's so funny you say that, Rez, because I can't tell you how many times people tell me, oh, I don't want to talk about my idea, as if merely having the idea is going to actually make it executable. You know, like as if like I could have had an idea for having a supercomputer in your pocket. Well, <laughs> I could have created the iPhone. Sure, it was my idea to do it. I thought about that. You know, like execution is, is nearly everything. The idea is just, you know, it's just the spark that, that creates the fire. So anyway, I really appreciate it. By the way, I mean, not to get on a tangent on this, I know we're trying to wrap up, but I mean, just let me just add on that, which is, that's why I always find it interesting when people like get, they always ask like, well, what was the idea behind this? Or how, I always get more excited talking about the team and the people and the tenacity that's required to actually make it happen. Cause it truly is the 99.999%. The reality is all the data shows that almost any idea I had today is not a new idea. It's, it's just the person that has actually done something with that idea to make it manifest. Uh, so again, that's probably a whole show in and of itself. Uh, execution, <laughs> ideas versus yeah. execution. But in any case, good, great chatting and, and pleasure to be on the show. And thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, thank you, Raz. I'm grateful to you for executing so well to reduce by millions and millions the number of plastic bottles that have to be created. So thank you for that. Thanks for executing on it. And uh, hopefully the next time we talk, it'll be by billions of bottles. All right. Fantastic. Thank thanks again. Really enjoyed it. Thanks, Raz. Bye-bye. Bye now. Thanks for listening. We hope you found use in this episode. If so, don't keep it to yourself. Please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. And as always, we hope you will be in the business of doing good.